I'd ask if you could please um, stand with me for our scripture reading this morning. Um, it's, uh, if you're able, um, it's a long one. It's, the, I think, the longest passage I've ever preached is 75 verses. And uh, so, um, so it's, it said it's going to be a long one, a long, well, a long passage, but, uh, uh, but I, I should hopefully, uh, we should hopefully be done around the usual time. So, um, but anyway, if you're able, please stand with me. Um, Genesis um, 30, verse 25, down to 31, verse 55. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I might go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you. And how your livestock is fair with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and, and the speckled and the spotted among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and the, uh, among the black lambs, if it be found with me, it shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and, and plane trees and peeled white streaks on them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black of the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay his sticks in the, in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him as, with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor, favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that, that I have served your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me and has changed my wages ten times. 
but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and has given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that, that the goats that mated with the flock were striped and spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and he said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen that Laban, all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever has God, what God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock and all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by, telling him, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? And you have, that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of a sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me? And did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I, have, what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, and he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban felt about in the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. 
So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt all through my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, so that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not... Uh, I did, sir, what was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you for fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Jagar Saharutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. For if you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although there was no one to see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and this pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness. They will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and he called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage of Scripture, yet again we see clearly who you are. And we see clearly your faithfulness to your people. Lord, I pray that as we consider this passage together this morning, that you would work in our hearts to, to renew our faith, to encourage our faith, to, to plant deep truths of your sovereignty and your wisdom and your love and your faithfulness in our hearts. Lord, so that those who are, are currently facing trials would be encouraged. Those who have faced uh, trials in the past and mistreatment at the hands of, of others that, that, that they would rethink those experiences in light of who you are, in light of what you're doing. 
And Lord, if you tarry, at some point in our lives, all of us will experience trials. Trials of, of sickness, trials of death, trials of, of mistreatment at the hands of others. And Lord, we pray that these truths that, that, that we know to be true would, would be uh, reinforced in our hearts and that would bring comfort in those times that we are, are, more, are, are better equipped to be able to glorify you as we walk through life with our eyes fixed firmly on you and not on our external circumstances, but on our eternal circumstances. For Lord, you are our faithful God. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study in Genesis this morning, picking up the story of the life of Jacob living in Haran. Jacob had fled the promised land out of fear of his brother Esau. He left the promised land alone and penniless, but he's about to come home under very different circumstances. His father-in-law Laban had deceived him by substituting his elder daughter Leah to, to Jacob instead of Jacob's beloved Rachel on his wedding night. And Jacob went on to marry Rachel as well, along with Rachel's servant Bilhah and Leah's servant Zilpah. By these four women, Jacob fathered 11 sons and one daughter. The few days that Rebekah had spoken of for, for, uh, for Jacob to leave so that Esau's anger could subside have turned into 14 years as this chapter begins. And he'll have been there 20 years by the time he leaves in the next chapter. As Jacob departs, he's following in the footsteps of, of his grandfather. He's retracing the steps of Abraham who left Haran for the promised land at the call of God. But Jacob is also anticipating the footsteps of Israel, the nation named after him as they fled Egypt. This is Jacob's exodus. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning as we're covering a chapter and a half from Genesis 30:25 all the way to 31:55, And I, I believe we need to consider this long passage as a cohesive unit, as part of one story, really as the sequel to Genesis 29:1 to 30:24 that we studied last week. There are three main stages in this drama. In chapter 30, verses 25 to 43, Jacob asks to leave. And in chapter 31, verses 1 to 21, Jacob flees. And then in chapter 31, verses 22 to 55, Laban pursues. Through it all, we'll see God's providence in the life of Jacob. We saw that last week too, in spite of Laban's deception. And even through Jacob, Laban's deception, the Lord was blessing Jacob. The Lord was fulfilling his promise to Jacob, especially that of Genesis 28, verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The Lord has promised to provide for Jacob, to protect Jacob, to be present with Jacob as he takes Jacob home. And this yet again, we see the Lord's faithfulness to his people. So chapter 30, verses 25 to 43, Jacob asks to leave. 
With Joseph, Jacob's 11th son, born now through Rachel, Jacob tells Laban to give him his wives and his children and let him go home. He has served the 14 years that Laban had unfairly stipulated. He has served as Laban had required. He's done his time. He wants to go home. But Laban responds with seeming deference. If I found favor in your sight, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now here we're getting more of a glimpse into Laban's character, for the Lord condemns the practice of divination. But despite the pagan method of determining this fact, it cannot be denied by Laban or anyone that the Lord has blessed him because of Jacob. Jacob's success and Laban's subsequent profit from that success is a fulfillment of the blessing that Isaac had given Jacob in 27, 29. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And it's the same blessing that the Lord had given Abraham in Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. James Boyce explains the secret of Jacob's success in working for Laban is that even in the unpleasant earthly relationship, he was really working for God. Who would, have, who would protect him and prosper his efforts? I wonder, have you ever considered that in your own life? Have you ever considered when, especially in a parallel circumstance, when, when you have a difficult employer and, and a, a, a challenging employer who, who makes your day-to-day -day life difficult? Have you considered the fact that, that when you are working for, for this difficult employer or, or any employer, that you are really working for God? That is, this is a huge comfort in, in light of of. of of challenges that you can even face that in a, in a family where there's where you're feeling where you're being mistreated even in a family you can say when when i respond to to this family member who is treating me unjustly i can respond with love and and service because i'm really serving god when you look at this also from another angle as well when, when things work out well when when you when you meet success in, in your job, whatever, whatever job it is, or, or what you're doing, do you take pride in that? Do, do you take pride in, in, a, in a job well done? Or, or do you thank the Lord? Now, I agree, it's nice to walk away from a job well done, but I wonder, do you take credit for it? Do, do you pat yourself on the back and take the glory for yourself? What would you think of somebody who had, had boasted about the fact that they shared the gospel with somebody and that person got saved? You would be aghast at, at, at their egotism. You'd be blown away by their pride. But how do you feel about your accomplishments? Do, do you take pride in, in what you have done? It's exactly the same thing. It's, it's, yes, it's a matter of degree, but, but remember Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Every good work you will ever do, including good, doing good work at work, is possible because of God's work in you. 
And furthermore, all of your good works have been foreordained by God. When you begin to understand this, you'll realize that there is no room whatsoever for pride in anything that you do. You can only take credit for your sin. Laban continues, Name your wages, and I will give it. Now, Jacob remembers, obviously, what happened when Laban had said the same thing to him when they had bargained for Rachel's hand. Jacob, who by this time knows Laban all too well, ignores the question. He also testifies to the fact that the Lord has blessed Laban through him. Jacob says he's, he's worked hard in, in shepherding Laban's flocks, and the Lord has blessed his efforts. Laban had little before Jacob came, but now he is wealthy, for the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now Jacob points out the fact that he has a responsibility for his own household. He has to provide for them. But now Laban ignores Jacob's words and rephrases his earlier question, what shall I give you? And Jacob says, nothing. Like Abraham and the, before the king of Sodom did not want anyone to be able to say, he did not want anyone to be able to say, I have made Jacob rich. Jacob is prepared to leave as penniless as when he arrived, but with his family. He will not accept anything from Laban, but he says, I will do this for you. I will continue to shepherd your flock and will take out only the speckled and the spotted and the black sheep and the goats for myself. And Laban gladly accepts. With Jacob looking after the animals, they will continue to be productive. They will continue to reproduce at the rate that they were before, that Laban is thinking his wealth can only increase. Furthermore, the speckled and the spotted and the, the black animals were, were less common than the white ones. But even more than that, Laban has a few more tricks up his sleeve. Before Jacob could separate the animals, Laban took out all the speckled and the spotted and the black animals and gave them to his sons to shepherd and sent them away, three days away, so that there's no way that the two herds could intermingle. And so he's thinking that, that by removing that genetic strain, there is even that much less likely that any of the animals that are born under Jacob's care will be speckled and spotted and black. He leaves Jacob only the white ones, which introduces a play on the name Laban, which means white. It's interesting that Laban has, has just declared that the Lord has blessed him through Jacob. But now he feels that he must cheat Jacob in order to gain the best advantage. But Jacob had his own tricks. He took sticks and, and stripped the bark off them and, and placed them in the watering troughs, thinking that it would cause the animals to have speckled and striped and, and black offspring. He did this only in front of the only animals so that it was the, the speckled, striped, and spotted ones that, that would, would come from better stock. Derek Kidner explains that in displaying the striped rods at breeding time, Jacob was acting on a common belief that a vivid sight during pregnancy or conception would leave its mark on the embryo of the animal. Now, we, we know this to not be true, right? I hope. This, this is not a lesson on effective animal husbandry techniques. This was a, suspicious, a superstitious myth. 
It's not unlike the mandrake roots of the, the previous chapter used by Jacob's wives to enhance fertility. It was, there it was the Lord that opened the womb, and here it's the Lord that gives the increase. As we read in verse 33, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, camels and donkeys were, were a sign of great wealth. Jacob's fortune is, is here being expressed in, in terms that are quite similar to, to those of, of Abraham, that the gifts that he received from Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12. And that given to Laban by Abraham's servant in chapter 24. So over the, the course of, of these six years, Jacob has become very wealthy and Laban has lost a great deal. Laban has met his match. But it's not Jacob. It's the Lord. The Lord has outmatched Laban at every step of the way, even using Laban's scheming to bring judgment against him and to bless Jacob. And through it all, the Lord is proving his faithfulness to Jacob to provide, to protect, and to be with Jacob. And here we see a parallel with the Exodus from Egypt, don't we? Remember in, in Exodus 12, verses 35 and 36, how as Israel was departing out of Egypt after the death of the firstborn during the Passover, the, the Israelites asked the Egyptians for gold and silver and clothing. And in verse 36, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. The Lord enriched Jacob and his descendants at the expense of, of Laban. And thus, Jacob plundered Laban. And so, so he's, the Lord is, is blessing his people and bringing down judgment on their enemies. Now, there's an application here for, for us in our own lives. Brothers and sisters, you do not need to fear being cheated, being taken advantage of, or even being abused. But you need, of course you need to use the, the wisdom that God has given you and, and you don't put yourself unnecessarily in harm's way. But you don't need to try to control the situation or, or, or with anxiety or fear or, or to manipulate the best possible outcome or to rely on your self-protection. Romans 8, 35 and 36, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are conquerors through him who loved us. You, you don't need to enter into fear. You don't need to try to control things in order to protect yourself. You rely on your heavenly Father who loves you because of his Son. But then in chapter 31, verses 1 to 21, Jacob flees. Jacob gets wind of the fact that Laban's sons are angry that he has gotten rich at Laban's expense. He recognizes that he has fallen out of favor with Laban. Now Laban and his sons really have no grounds to complain. Jacob was underpaid for 14 years. And during that time, Laban has gotten rich. This is fair. This is the Lord's justice. But Laban's ornery mood further advances Jacob's desire to, to get out of Dodge, to leave. 
And he's been down this road before with Isaac, with Esau, hasn't he? I guess actually it was, was up this road. He's about to go back down the road as he returns home. Now the Lord speaks to Jacob in verse 3. Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. This is both a command and it's a promise. Yes, Jacob wants to go home, but the ultimate reason for his departure is that the Lord is calling him home. And now Jacob has to convince his wives that it's time to go. He calls Rachel and Leah into the field for privacy and then outlines the situation to them in verse 5 and following. Your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Your father doesn't regard me with favor, but my God does. And it's his opinion that matters. Jacob explains that he has served Laban diligently for all this time, but that, 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 that Laban has cheated him again and again and again. Ten times, we're told. And again, Jacob gives God the glory. But God did not permit him to harm me. He relays how the Lord has taken all of, of Laban's livestock and given them, to, given them to him. Like Rachel with the mandrakes, he attributes his success not to his husbandry techniques, but to the Lord. The case is getting stronger. The Lord has provided so far, and he could be trusted to care for them from here on in. Then in verses 11 to 13, Jacob presents the strongest case for leaving. A dream theophany, the, the Lord's visitation to him with a word to him. Now, whether this is the same one from verse 3 or another one, we don't know. But the Lord points out all the animals that now belong to Jacob. And the Lord says that they mate. When they mate, they all come out striped and spotted and mottled because I have seen what Laban is doing to you. Brothers and sisters, again, the Lord is a witness of everything that people do to you as well. The Lord continues in verse 13. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me, now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. He's reminding Jacob of, of Bethel, where he saw the stairway to heaven, where, where the Lord had made his promises to him and where Jacob had made vows to God that the Lord would be his God. And the instructions are very clear. Again, James Boyce who warns that, that the reason for defeat in so many Christians' lives is not that they do not understand the will of God, but that, that they do not do what they understand. God does not speak to us in, in the same way as he spoke to Jacob. God speaks to us through the, the 66 books of the Bible. Now, now you have a, a pretty good understanding of the Bible. That's great. But you need to seek out to live what you know from God's word. It's not just the hearers, but the, the doers. That the, it's doing God's word that he requires. Now, Jacob was convinced, but, but what are Rachel and Leah going to say? Now, we see here that they're convinced as well. They understand that there's nothing left for them in their father's house. He has treated them like foreigners, selling them for Jacob's labors and squandering their bridal gift. They see the hand of God in, in taking away their father's wealth and giving it to them and to their children. And so they agree. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. 
Kenneth Matthews describes it this way. Whereas they could not rely on their father's word, they turned to their husband's God. He says this is another case of the Ruth effect where the foreign wife commits herself and future to the God of her adopted family. And, and so it seems here that, that, that Rachel and Leah are coming to saving faith in God as well. So Jacob gathered his family and his livestock and all that he had, had and left Padanaram for Canaan, the land of his father Isaac, the promised land, the land that the Lord had promised to give to Jacob and to his descendants. Now Laban was away shearing the sheep, so he was oblivious to their departure. But then we find a complication introduced. For not only did Jacob plunder Laban out of his flocks, but Rachel stole Laban's teraphim. His household gods, his, his idols that were often used in association with divination. We also see that, that Jacob tricked Laban by not telling him that he was leaving. It's interesting that the same word is used in verses 19 to 20 to describe Rachel's and Jacob's actions. Rachel stole, Jacob tricked. It's the same word. This word is going to be repeated many times in the next section. Jacob took all that he had and he fled setting his face towards Gilead. Jacob fled out of the promised land, and now he's fleeing back into the promised land. And then in chapter 31, verses 22 to 55, Laban pursues. Laban finds out three days later and, and sets out in hot pursuit after Jacob and, and after his, his wives and, and after, after his, his, uh, Jacob's uh, children doesn't look like it's going to end well for Jacob. For seven days, Laban chased Jacob into the hill country of Gilead. But then in verse 24, those words that make all the difference. But God. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God put a restraining order on Laban, telling him not even to say anything good or bad to Jacob. Now, this is probably a figure of speech warning Laban not to do anything to harm Jacob. But this warning parallels the warning that the Lord gave to Abimelech concerning Abraham and Sarah in chapter 20. Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob had to be rescued because of their misadventures outside of the promised land. God has promised to protect Jacob as he had Abraham and Isaac. And so as, as, as these two opposing parties square off against each other, is, he going to, is the Lord going to come through on his promise? Laban overtook Jacob. They, they made their encampments opposite one another. Laban and his kinsmen on one side and Jacob and his family on the other side. Jacob is heavily outgunned. As Laban approaches Jacob, Jacob has no idea about Laban's encounter with the Lord. Laban asks, what have you done? Ironically, J Jacob had asked Laban that very same question when he realized that Laban had swapped Rachel for Leah. Laban asks why Jacob had tricked him and left in secret, not allowing him to, to send, send him away with a party and to kiss his daughters and his, and his grandchildren to say goodbye. And then Laban adds a rebuke. 
Now you have done foolishly. And like a typical bully, he flexes his muscles. It is in my power to do you harm. He's communicating on the one hand hurt feelings and on the other angry threats. These are, are two emotions that don't seem to fit together. I can imagine as, as Jacob is standing there before Laban, his pulse is racing and, and little beads of sweat are beginning to appear on his forehead. But Laban adds, But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. For once in his life, Laban was being honest. Now, granted, it was under compulsion from the Lord, but nonetheless, this would have set Jacob's mind at ease, reinforcing of his understanding of the Lord's promise of protection. And Laban continues, And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house, but, but why did you steal my gods? It seems that, that he understands Jacob's desire to leave, but, but now his true motivation comes out. He, it, it seems that he's not, not most concerned about his family, but he's most concerned about his idols. Laban is charging Jacob with two crimes, deception, which sounds familiar, and theft. Jacob refutes the, the, the charges, the charges of, of theft, saying that, that, that he, he, hasn't, he hasn't done this, and nobody among them has done this. He, but he justifies himself against the, the first charge. He, he's, he says that, that he had to leave because he knew that, that Laban would take away his family by force if he didn't. Another parallel with, with Abraham and Isaac is both his, his grandfather and his father had deceived their foreign hosts in order to protect themselves. His grandfather, Abraham, had done it twice. And now regarding the idols. Again, Jacob is oblivious of the fact that Rachel has stolen them. And so he declares that the person with whom Laban finds the idols shall die. Again, the tension gets ratcheted up. And it provides a hint at, at Joseph's silver cup that's hidden in Benjamin's bag in chapter 44. Now tension increases again as, as Laban searches for the idols. Jacob's tent, not there. Leah's tent, nope. The tents of the servants, not there either. Rachel's tent. Is Laban going to find them? But Moses, thankfully our narrator, does not to make us sweat for very long, he tells us that Rachel has taken the idols and hidden them under her camel's saddle and sat on them. And so she, she tells Laban not to be angry that she can't rise because she's in her cycle. Laban searched but couldn't find the idols. This makes a mockery of Laban and his gods. Both are impotent before Rachel's scheming, let alone both are impotent before the Almighty God. And in addition, the idols are now considered ceremonially unclean because Rachel is said to have sat on them during her cycle. This is an absolute mockery of the, of the false gods of the Arameans. Now Jacob replies, rejecting Laban's feigned fatherly grief. And, and as Matthew says, Jacob unleashes 20 years of anger, rehearsing in painful detail his ordeal at the unscrupulous hands of Laban. 
He suffered greatly in Laban's service, enduring the elements and enduring Laban's treachery. And he concludes that if God had not intervened, that if God had not rescued him, he would, Laban would have taken everything and everyone. But again, Jacob testifies to the Lord's protection. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And Laban answers, contending that, that everything before him is really his, his daughters, his children, his, his daughters, his grandchildren, his flocks, everything. But he's powerless to do anything to get them back. So he calls Jacob to cut a covenant as a witness between the two men. And so we see Jacob setting up another pillar. And then Jacob says, gather stones together. And they made these stones into a heap, giving them three names. Jagar Sahadutha, Galid, and Mizpah. Mizpah, which means watch post, is, is probably the most familiar to you. Laban said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take, my uh, take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God who is witness between you and me. Now remember, Laban is the one who had aggressively chased Jacob all through the country. But, but now he's, he's saying that they must not each pass over the heap of stones to go to the other side to do each other harm. And then Laban calls God as his witness, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Now, apart from God's grace, I don't think Jacob would have done very well under God's judgment either. But they ate a covenant feast together. And in the morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them and returned home. 20 years, Jacob had been in Padanaram. 20 years, he had been in exile from the promised land because of his deception of his brother Esau. He left the promised land penniless, but came back under very different circumstances. Yes, once again, he fled for fear, this time for fear of his father-in-law Laban. But Jacob came home anything but alone. He came home with four wives, 11 sons, and a daughter. He also came home anything but penniless. He came home a very wealthy man. God had promised to protect Jacob, and God came through on his promise as he always does. The, the Lord had, had given rise to the people of Israel and called them out of Haran into the promised land as he had Abraham almost 200 years prior. And 80 years from now, Jacob will again leave the promised land, this time with his sons to join Joseph, who is already there as they flee a famine. Like Jacob arrived alone, they will arrive in Egypt, a small company, but 400 years later, even through very hard labor, they will become a great nation. Like Jacob, they arrived with little, but left with great riches. But like Jacob, danger would pursue them. But like the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 14, 13, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again, as the waters of the Red Sea closed over Pharaoh and his army. 
After this, Laban will never be seen again. His part in the story is over. As for Jacob, he's returned to the promised land just as the Lord had promised. He has now personally experienced the Lord's provision, his protection, and his presence. And he's now aware of the fact that his security does not rest in himself or his own scheming, but in the Lord. No matter what happens in your life, remember that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord promises to be with you and he promises to take you home safely. You're going to face severe trials in your life. We all will if the Lord tarries. But God, but God, again, those two words that make all the difference. They make all the difference in the Bible. They make all the difference in history. They make all the difference in your story. In the life of Jacob, as his enraged father-in-law chases after him, but God. In the, the life of the people of Israel, between Pharaoh's charging chariots and the Red Sea, but God. In your life, as you destroyed yourself and those around you with your sin, but God. But nowhere in the Bible and nowhere in the history of the universe do we see such a great but God as we do in the cross of Christ. Such a great turning point as we do in the, as the, in the life and death of Jesus as his lifeless body is hanging on that cross. The sacrifice for our sins, punished not because of himself, but because of us. And as his body, his lifeless body, is taken into that tomb, and as the stone is rolled over it, he's there for three days and three nights. But God, God is faithful to his promises. He's proved himself to be faithful to his promises to Jacob. He's proved himself to be faithful to his promises to the people of Israel in the exodus of Egypt. He's promised to be faithful to the, the life and death and the resurrection of his son. And he's promised in Christ to be faithful to you. God has promised that nothing can keep you if you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, nothing can keep you from being taken home by God to his promised land. This is our only hope in life. This is our only hope in death. May God add his blessing as we consider who God is in the light of these glorious truths.